the Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp, a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down, share your true thoughts about your journey, and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment. Welcome everyone to the Spiritual Brew Pub podcast. I'm your host, Michael Camp, and today we have a, a wonderful guest with us, Tim Rimel. Tim? is a survivor of the ex-gay movement, a former evangelical minister, and an author. And he'll be sharing his story with us. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. So glad to be here. Yeah, glad you could join us today. Um, you're based in, uh, what, California? I'm in, yeah, just outside of Sacramento. Outside of Sacramento. Okay, I'm up here in Seattle. And um, I think it's uh, uh, you have an incredible, important story to tell that more people need to hear. And Tim is the author of two books. Um, one is called Going Gay, My Journey from Evangelical Christian Minister to Self-Acceptance, Love, and Meaning. Great title, by the way. <laughs> and two, Rethinking Everything When Faith and Reality Don't Make Sense. So uh, before we get into your journey, I want to tee up our conversation a bit and what I really love about your work in these books is how you identify and contrast so many things that we are taught in evangelical or fundamentalist Christianity and how you expose that they don't line up with reality. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things just don't line up. And, and the reality comes from your own experience and the study of the facts. And um, that's certainly what uh, I've done and many people have done when we deconstruct from conservative Christianity. And I think anyone listening here will see how uh, we all have different places we, we begin when we deconstruct, but so much of what we discover aligns with others. And, um, and that's because, you know, we're after the truth. We're trying to figure out, make sense of our lives and, and, and history and uh, faith and the Bible, etc., and trying to find out uh, something that is true and lines up with our own experience and the facts. And, you know, uh, one example is when I read Going Gay, uh, excellent book. Um, we're going to get into that in a moment. But even though I couldn't relate to coming out as a gay or a lesbian person, I was reminded how I was, I had once endorsed the gay ex-gay movement and how I changed my mind and how, how naively I tried to push uh, ex-gay solutions on my aunt once when her son came out as gay, my cousin, how I changed my mind when I read stories like uh, Mel White's story. I'm sure you're familiar with Mel. Uh, mm -hmm. He wrote the book Stranger at, at the Gate. 
And, and then how one of my best friends, when I was a missionary in Africa, had no idea. Well, he called me one day years later and said, Mike, I'm gay. <laughs> and so I had to navigate that. So deconstruction stories largely align because of, of what's true, what's in, and what's real aligns. And that's, it's, and that's very important to remember. So I'm rambling too much. So let's get into your experiences. Who are you and what is your family and religious background, Tim? I, so I grew up in the Pentecostal Church of God, and my grandfather was a Pentecostal minister, and then my father did prison and youth ministries. So it, it was kind of handed down to me. There, there really wasn't much of a thought of, what am I going to do? Oh, right. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I kind of latched on to those those things as this is what life is about. And I can't really say that I thought much about having children. I was ambivalent. In fact, when I got married and my wife had a kid, I was like, meh. <laughs> I'm a dad of two kids now and you know no regrets so just it just kind of wasn't one of those things that I thought about growing up yeah I'm going to have these you know kids yeah, in right. a family it it, at a least not in a, right right not in a romantic way anyway yeah um so it was just part of life and the thing about evangelicalism and especially Pentecostalism is there's so much emotion in that faith in that religion and from the time that I can remember there was always this feeling of God, this this awareness of God, this thing that we kind of wrapped our arms around and said, yes, this is what God is. And when we're doing music and we're worshiping, that was what God was. And for me, who's always been, I've always been really stoic, when I was worshiping or when I was playing the piano or, or when I was involved in, in worship ministry, there was such a connection to the spiritual that I couldn't deny. You know, whatever else was going on in my life, I just could not deny that that was God, that I was so connected to God that that's who he was. So so going through my life when I was you know growing up and then realizing that I was gay, there wasn't any question for me about I had to do something to stop this. I had to get out of it. Um, and so, you know, when the ex-gay minister came along, that just it just seemed like the obvious choice. And it wasn't I wasn't coerced. I was in my early 20s and it aligned with my theology. And so it just seemed like the place to go. Yeah, I can understand that because, I mean, I was in the evangelical movement for over 25 years and, mm -hmm. you know, you just all of a sudden this issue of homosexuality comes up and you're like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They shouldn't be doing that. That's a, that's a sin, blah, blah, blah. And, and then the, uh, the solution just kind of makes sense. Cause you're not there. It's unexamined. It's like, well, that's lines up with what everyone's been saying. So it must be right. You know? Right. So, right. It, you know, yeah, to your point too, it's, I want to say that when you talk about kind of this coming out, when you come out of evangelicalism, it is really very similar. And a few years ago, we were working on a documentary and I, I cannot remember the guy's last name, but he uh, hit the headlines when he started rethinking about homosexuality. He's a straight guy, he was married, uh, has kids. He's part of the Southern Baptist church. And he said, I don't think I can keep up this line of thinking that, that there's something wrong with gay people. And so I interviewed him at one point and he, he had a very similar experience. He was ostracized. He was kicked out of his church. He was told if he didn't fall in line, he was going to lose his building and on and on. And so he walked away from it. And, you know, looking back of course his, his son came out a few years later not he didn't he knew nothing about his son but when his son came out he said i had to get to that place of acceptance before oh, that yeah, ever happened right. but the experience was very similar and he he kind of balked at that he didn't he you know he he didn't want to say oh yeah it's the same as being gay and and i get that but 
there were a lot of similarities and there's yeah. a lot of ostracization. And if you don't fall in line with exactly what they teach and believe, then you're out. Yep. Oh, absolutely. Yep. That's what I was saying. Yeah. You have to deal with the same issues eventually, you know, it's just, right. it's, 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 it's all part of figuring out what's real in the world. And so let's one day it's, it's, you have to, to address that whole issue and, uh, and, and you get the same, uh, you get the same feedback, you get the same uh, rejection, not not as intense, I'm sure as if you were actually gay, and you have to go through this, but it's it's very similar. So what was it like? Um, uh, you know, you, 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 you kind of grew up in the church, and uh, you like, just that that's all you knew. And so you just played right into it and everything. But what, what was it like discovering that you were actually gay? And I think it was in the ninth grade, right? Yeah, it was around then. Uh, it was horrifying. Is what it was like because I didn't, I didn't have a word for it. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what it was. And you know, back in those days, right? Your your kids. I, we're probably close to the same age. I mean, we're, we're kids. Yeah. The word fag was kind of tossed around. You right. know, it, it just what it was. What it was. So being in that situation, I didn't I didn't understand exactly what it meant. And it wasn't until later that I just I just have this you know really strong memory of being in my mom's kitchen and it just it suddenly hit me is that i don't think i'm going to change i want to have these feelings towards women but it's it's just not there i am dead and cold when it comes to those feelings towards women but i have these feelings towards the other guys my friends that um it, are not right it's just not right right uh, so i just remember this this awful feeling in the pit of my stomach and i thought what am i going to do you know is this going to stay forever am i going to outgrow this will it go away at some point and the anxiety that it created was horrific. So I, I, you know, I mentioned this in the book. I dropped to 115 pounds. I was five foot ten. Wow! Couldn't keep food down. Um, I, you know, I was sick all the time, and I didn't understand how anxiety impacted the body or the brain back then. So there was no explanation as to why I was sick. And doctors kept probing and trying to find all of these things, and of course, there was nothing to find. So. Eventually, I went to therapy for a Christian therapist, but I didn't talk about this. Oh, right. <laughs> I didn't. I, right. I wasn't telling anybody what was going on. Right. Um, so it was over a period of time after I went to Bible school. And again, it was keeping this secret. Um, it, it was it, it was stressful. It was stressful in my body. It was stressful mentally. It caused a lot of complex trauma over a period of time because you consistently get these negative messages about what it means to be gay. And, it, and in the evangelical church, they don't separate the sin from the quote unquote sinner. You're all one. So what you're telling me is that I'm a sin. My life is a sin. Right. And there, right. there's no way to spin that. And I, you know, I know evangelicals try when I was in ex gay ministry, we, we tried to spin it. I said, Oh God, I, I was on a radio show once and there they had these two lesbians on the show and i don't even think i knew they were coming i think they just brought them on when i thought it was a show about love and action and one of them said something along the lines of you know i wouldn't go to your church um or god god loves me i can't remember what god's been all the time uh, something along the line god loves me as i am and i said well god loves you he just loves you too much to leave you that way Yes, that was a big I, line they used. <laughs> and I'm like, that is a horrifying thing to say as I look back yeah. on that now. Right. That there's there's something innately wrong with this. And, and that's how I felt. I mean, you imagine I'm saying those things to someone when I'm feeling in myself, 
I'm not changing. I'm doing all right. the right things, but I'm still not changing. Right. And, and that can, that can even play on you, even if you're not gay, because it comes from the uh, mm-hmm. original sin theology of, you know, you're a depraved individual, uh, you know, destined for hell, <laughs> unless you, you know, uh, repent and t- take Jesus as your Lord and Savior and jump through the right hoops, etc. So yeah, you're just, it's it, when, you, when you uncover, it, it's really un- unconditional. It's not I, I mean, it's, it's conditional love. It's not real right. love. Yeah. So, right. um, uh, yeah, I mean, um, you, you've got some, uh, you got this going on in your life and you're not really telling anyone, but w- one of the observations I was going to make was what you just described. It's a, it's, not, it's a very painful experience. So there, there's some, there's a trend now about, uh, with evangelicals today, they're trying to explain away deconstruction and they're trying to say stuff like, you know, Oh, it's just trendy. People are just, you know, uh, trying to experiment with other things. And so they deconstruct or they experiment with being gay and, and, you know, it's just a trendy thing to do, but you know, it's totally ignores. I mean, what you just described is like, this is a, painful experience i'm not choosing to 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 do to, to do this this is the way what i'm observing in my life that the way i am i didn't just wake up one day and say i think i'll just just be gay today you know start being gay you know so yeah it, yeah yeah go ahead uh, the, i was thinking about this the other day is that when someone grows up in the faith especially as a white cisgender male the world is has been explained to us and again when you when you've grown up in the 70s 80s 50s 60s it, the world's ex- not even so much explained to us as it's been presented to us is that we are white males we we own the world we get to do whatever we want with the world and so we we walk in this bubble of expectations of how things are supposed to be we can you know we get married we do all the things that we were raised to do and believe and a lot of us won't question those beliefs. I mean, I think of Ben Carson, right? He's this renowned yeah. neurologist, right? And he's an idiot. Oh, I know. <laughs> I can't believe some of the things he says. <laughs> he's a total idiot. And and you know, how do you how do you put those two things together? So he's really good at one thing, but he hasn't really had to examine the other part of his life. Right. And when you are a gay person growing up in the evangelical faith, we're pushed into having to reconcile our sexuality and our feelings with everything that we've been taught. And so, you know, being somebody who was kind of pushed into this, I don't think I would have deconstructed had I not been gay, had I not come out and and said, okay, something is not lining up. I I lost my marriage. I lost my ministry. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so I think if you're looking at, you know, for a lot of evangelicals in general, what is that thing that pushes them to the next point? And, and I, and I think there's always something that's going to be that catalyst but for us in the gay community, we didn't really have a choice. We had to yeah. make a decision. Either you shove it all down and you live this really stressful life of not being honest with others and yourself right. about who you are, right. or and you implode, you know, or you just say, "All right, I have to come to terms with this." And so, right. and so, I, so I think it's a little bit different for 
those of us that have that thing that's pushing us versus those that can just sit in the church pew and say, eh, I don't know if this is right or not, but they don't really move forward into taking you know, the next I, step. I agree with you a hundred percent. I always say that the thing that propels someone to start deconstruction is usually something very painful or very emotional mm -hmm. that happens in their life. And, and, you know, some people are just kind of going along with it and, you know, they're not rocking the boat. They're not, they're not the kind of person to question everything. So everything's mm -hmm. fine. They're not going to start questioning things, but if something very uh, dramatic or painful happens in their life, uh, they get uh, spiritually abused is often one of the triggers, um, you know, uh, having um, an experience where uh, you just realize uh, something doesn't line up in the theology and it affects your relationships with your friends and stuff like the doctrine of hell oftentimes propels someone to rethink things when they realize, Oh, I have friends that are supposedly going to hell and all this stuff. And then, and then they start to open the door, but I can see how in the gay community, you're just forced to, to uh, uh, address that because it's all part of your life. Um, so I'm wondering um, as we move along here, uh, you've, you're, you've got this church background. You kind of grew up with it. You realize you, you're gay, but you're not, you're afraid to tell people. Uh, and then you just keep going on. I mean, how did you actually become like a worship leader and an evangelical minister or pastor? Um, well, again, I, I grew up in it and my, I didn't really become a Christian until my parents left the church. Uh, my dad's brother had died. And so he was kind of going through this crisis of faith. Oh, really? And... So his brother died. So he had some kind of a rethinking he had to do in his life he did but he was more running from anything he, okay. he was running away from the church and and you know, we grew up very um in a very stringent pentecostal belief system so you know women had to wear dresses no pants that kind of a thing couldn't cut yeah. their hair right right um so he when his brother died he kind of went through this crisis of faith and so they stopped going to church and things got really bad my dad started drinking a lot um, he was yelling all the time. So things were really tense. And at that point, I thought, well, I need Jesus then. So I'll, just, I'll bring it back home. So I went and, and stayed with some relatives and committed my life to Christ. And then I came back and and then I started going to church um, and being getting involved in the worship over there. Um, and so I would invite them. I would invite them to come. And eventually they came and then they recommitted their lives to Christ. And oh, so, I see. OK, so, so that's how they got yeah, back right. into church. Right. Um, and then, you know, for as a musician, I started late. I always had an interest in music, but I started it when I was playing, started playing piano at 13. And it was an, I was a natural. I picked it up really quickly. I can play. Right. I can read music. I can play by, you know, uh, hearing. Um, so when I got into the church, the, I had already grown up with that music as a kid and it just everything just clicked. So I was playing yeah, right. pretty quickly in the church and then the music just got into my soul and um I think that's really what kept me there for a very long time. That's very interesting. I um, I actually played the piano too and became a worship, uh, you know, player in in in, mm -hmm. uh, in many of the uh, charismatic churches I attended. But uh, the 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 music part really does draw you in, and and it you know music is beautiful. And so even though <laughs> you might have a bad theology, you could still produce some really good music. You know, and so. Um, uh, and also, you know, you mentioned uh, your your family. Uh, you, it sounds like you got into making a commitment because you saw something in your life that like, oh, my dad is becoming an alcoholic and 
you know, we, you know, we need to uh, clean up, uh, you know, I don't want to go through that. I want to, you know, have a better life than that. And that's kind of like the way I did too. I mean, I saw things in my mm -hmm. life that were there that were wrong. I was, I was toying with alcoholism, uh, hung out with people and we all, you know, all, most of us did a lot of drugs. Not, I didn't do that much, but some of my friends did. And, and I was depressed and, uh, you know, I didn't know what was going on and didn't have any purpose in my life. So the church kind of like, Oh, here's, here's the answer to all your problems. <laughs> right. Right. And so you get into it. So, but I'm curious, um, when you finally did, apparently at some point you finally started telling people that you were, you, you were gay. And what advice did you get from Christians when you would confess to them that, that you were gay? I only told two people that two I was people. struggling. Yeah. Two people. And that, that was early on. And that was my youth pastor who then went on and told his pastor. Um, that's another story. And then um, I told, um, who's the other person? I told, oh, I told, I told the pastor at the end of his service and he prayed over me. And that, that was the end of that, I thought. Um, oh, you thought that was going to be it. That would, oh, just yeah, a, you, a quick prayer and it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're done. It's all good. Yeah. And, yeah. and it wasn't until later that I thought I have a, I have a problem. I don't know how to get rid of this. And so I didn't right. really tell people until I signed up for love and action for the X gay ministry. And then I said, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm going to this ministry. And then everything kind of came out um, and it was humiliating and embarrassing. And I felt like I had no other option, but I had to go to the ministry. People were pretty loving about it. You know, they love me. So, but it was still really hard. It still felt like I was a failure. Yeah. It because, felt right. like my, my faith wasn't strong enough to, to mm -hmm. get through this on its own. Right. Um, yeah. That makes sense. So um, uh, let, let's kind of go into what, what this ex-gay philosophy is, what, what is the definition of that and uh, ex-gay ministries? What's, what's their goal? Well, the goal is the belief or the belief is that nobody is born gay is that it it's because of, of this, is, this goes way back to old psychology of it's, you know, they had a bad relationship with their father or they were sexually molested or mm -hmm. women had a bad relationship with their mother or they were raped or something along those lines. Was, th those tropes have been around for a very, very long time. Of course, if you look more closely at that, there are a lot of people that they had bad relationships with their parents or got molested and they're not gay, right? Yeah. <laughs> but they, but they right. set that aside. Right. Um, so the belief is that you're broken. This thing is, you know, happened to you from whatever circumstances. And so you can make a choice to not be gay by be learning more about how to be more masculine or how to be more feminine. And I know back in the day, they would teach women how to wear makeup. They would take the guys out so you learn how to play football and in our church when i was there it was you hang out with all the straight guys and have these conversations and you know ask them about what it's like to be a husband so you're learning how to operate in this world of gender roles very defined gender roles at the same time we spent a lot of time together talking about our struggles what was going on in our in the house um you know, were we tempted? And then we would deconstruct, well, why were we tempted? You know, what are you feeling inside? What's causing this temptation in you? Right. So we really broke it down. And what happened to me in the live-in program and a few months in is that I just lost all sexual desire for everything. Nothing, I had nothing there. It was just dead. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'm healed. 
<laughs> oh right okay. finally it's over yeah uh, right. you know i knew i knew nothing about suppression yeah. so i thought well this is a good sign because there's nothing there I have no temptations everything's fine and by the end of that year because it was a one-year live-in program by the end of that year i applied to go into leadership i was denied for whatever reason and six months later i went and said hey i want to be the outreach director here because we do these uh these um services where we would go into different churches and talk about the ministry and give testimonies. And I said, we can do this much better. Again, that's a musician coming out. And so I took over and then I got hired full time. And so I did that for about six years working with the ministry. Um, and I got married during that time. But, you know, as I got married and then it was trying to figure out the sexuality with the, a woman and that was awkward in itself. It wasn't natural. And, um, so I, I and then I, I kind of lost support. I mean, once you know, once you go into leadership, you don't have as much support as you did when you're more in a support. Yeah, group. right, right. Yeah, you're and supposed you're to support detached. others. Yeah, right. And so you get kind of detached. And we left the ministry. We left uh, Love and Action, and then I went to work for a couple of other uh, churches as a music minister. And my marriage is falling apart. Um, and so, it, but the catalyst really was when she left. My wife divorced me. I I could not wrap my brain around that. It was it was a lot easier to hide being gay when I was married with my children, but I couldn't wrap my brain around what was happening. It, it wasn't supposed to be like this. Um, you know, I given my life to God. I had given my life to the ministry, and then she leaves, and I lost everything. I had nothing, and right. so yeah. it. But it was still it was five years about five years after she left before I started to think maybe I am gay. <laughs> oh wow it took that long wow yeah it was ingrained it was so ingrained is that you know when you believe something so strongly and that's the foundation of everything that you do in your life from your job to your marriage to where you live mm -hmm. now you take that foundation away what do you have what's yeah. left how do you rebuild from something so to lose the foundation and to to begin the deconstruction process was turning everything upside down. It was taking all the bricks out of your house and starting over. And, and then you're thinking, well, how do I build a house? Where do I go from here? Yeah. Um, that must be really scary place to be. I mean, um, so I, I want to put this kind of in the, in the context of the, the history of the, of the gay movement and the ex gay movement and evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. Well, when you were in love and action and, and, and the ex gay ministry there, what what years were those? What was going on? And I went. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I was in Love and Action in 1990. I went through the one year living program, and then I okay. stayed from 90. Um, I stayed there until 96. So for six years, I was the outreach director, and that was the time when things were really heating up. I, you know, I didn't. I was pretty sheltered from politics. I would say at that point, but once we got into the ministry there were a lot of people around us that were really well known um, nationally just because of things that were going on and they became the spokespeople for mm -hmm. ex-gay ministry, mm -hmm. which is what it would cause back then. It's called, you know, called conversion therapy now, but same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I was surrounded by these people and the feeling that you get when you've got all of these quote unquote famous people around you is this is really something special. Yeah. God is right. really doing something. Right. Right. So as I'm watching things happen and I met the guy who was on the Phil Donahue show, Cy Rogers, who has since passed. Oh, okay. Cy Rogers. Yeah. I, I, are you familiar with him? I've, I remember reading about him. Yes. 
Right. So Cy is, he was extremely dynamic, incredibly articulate. And he was on the Phil Donahue show. And this was the first time I'd ever heard about this whole ex-gay thing. And that's what prompted me to find out what was nearby. Uh, but I met Cy, again, a fabulous person, you know, very charismatic in person as well as on stage. And once I got into the ministry, things had just started to happen. I mean, you know, people were protesting love and action, uh, the, you know, LGBTQ were protesting love and action. Um, churches, we, when we go to a church, they would have security because all these things were going on. And then there was, um, uh, what was his name? It's a pastor from way back when, I'm not even sure if he's still alive anymore, but he was pretty famous in the early 90s, who would point to Exodus and love and action and say, oh, look, James, these James Dobson? Okay. James Dobson? N no, no, it's a, another guy. Okay. Um, he was a fireball preacher. Okay. Um, but he and James Thompson as well. He would point and say, "Oh, here's here are these people who are not gay. Look what they've done. All you have to do is commit your life to Jesus, and everything goes away." Right, right. Um, so we, since we were the oldest ministry out there, uh, we they would often point to love and action. And then we had uh, John Pauk, who was on staff, who became oh, the poster child for right. the ex-gay movement. I remember that. Yeah. Um, and I, right. So John and I worked together. And John again is another charismatic, articulate person who just seems to have all the charm in front of a camera. And so he made a name for himself out there. So you, so the feeling that you get when you're in this is that we are doing the Lord's work and you spin it any way you can spin it. And the feelings that you have is, yes, I'm having a struggle, but what I'm doing is really important. And I'm a part of this really important thing. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. So all, all of the other things just kind of fall aside, right? I'm, mm -hmm. I'm married. Um, my sex life is terrible. You know, we're, we're fighting, all these things are going on, but I'm like, okay, we just stay the course. God's going to work this out. Everything has a purpose. We're going to get to the finish line. Right. And I thought, you know, what an incredible thing to raise my kids with their dad who used to be gay and they're going to grow up in the faith and, you know, will be this incredible testimony for the Lord. Right. Um, yep. Yep. It all sounds and, like the, the story we're all yeah. fed. Right. Right. So right. During that time, um, there was this video that came out, I think it was called, uh, was it the gay agenda video? Is that what it was called? Right. Yeah. Right. Tell us about that. Now that was something in the nationally, you know, promoted video that a lot of Christian evangelical leaders got on board with and, and what were they pushing in that video? Yeah. That video was, you know, going back and looking at it much later is that they found the most salacious things that they could find about gay people. If it was anonymous sex or, um, you know, having sex in parks and public restrooms and um, all of these, you know, seemingly depraved ideas that gay people did. Of course, nobody ever talked about what straight people did. Right. Um, but they they put this in this, you know, video with the music to say these are these evil, awful people. And I know they they um, interviewed John Smith, who was our director at Lemon Action and John Polk. And so John and, and John didn't know what this was for. So they end up in this video that was used against um, the LGBT community, you know, and, and they had mixed feelings about, oh, gosh, I'm part of this video and they make it look like this. But these are two people who had been in the community. They're like, eh, you know, I'm not so sure about this. Um, but it was proliferated throughout the evangelical church as this is what gay people are. They're evil. They're depraved. We have to stop them. There is no love. It's just about sex and depravity. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. And not only that, it was going to ruin our nation. 
Yes. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. If we, we let the them causes. get married, I mean, the 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 uh, James Dobson would always say, you know, the foundation of Western civilization will fall. You know, something like that. So yes. there was a and lot of, of fear mongering going on. The hurricanes and tornadoes, all our fault. Yes. Right. Yeah. And, that, and that's what <laughs> lead, leads people to scapegoat the gay community. Oh, something bad just happened. Well, it must be because we're as a country. We are not following God anymore. And the gay, you know, and the gay community can be blamed because they're, you know, they're <laughs> they're they're taking us down the wrong path. It's just incredible when you look at it back at it. But I mean, I was I was part of that. I uh, I, I wasn't involved in an, uh, an ex-gay ministry, but I certainly endorsed it, supported it. I tried mm -hmm. to tell my, when my cousin came out, I tried to. Uh, tell my aunt I, uh, that she should get him into an ex-gay ministry. You're familiar with Exodus International, right? That was yeah, related, the organization. To, related to Love in Action. They yep. had an office above. Well, I was in, at the time in the 19, late 90s, I was uh, part of a evangelical missions movement. And I, I moved to Seattle after being on the mission field and and worked for an evangelical mission agency and in seattle and a, the the office above us was exodus international <laughs> mm -hmm. so I, i'd go up there and talk to the guys up there and get their material and i just thought this was great i thought man these guys are so these people are just they were very articulate uh, mm -hmm. i don't know if i met john paul or not but, but there i'm sure there was some people that were kind of like him you know in, that i met and and they had all this material that just was well thought out. I thought it was like, this is, you know, this is the answer to this problem of, of you know, being gay. And and so you just kind of fall into it without really examining it very much. Um, so uh, let's see, we've covered a lot, but I want to kind of pinpoint uh, uh, one of the things. What, what finally caused you to realize that this <clears throat> conversion therapy ex-gay cause was misguided and harmful what was it that that turned the corner for you I, I, well i think after i started to come out my ex-wife actually moved back in with us we're still friends and so she needed a place to stay so she was here as i was going through this process of coming out and i met this person on it's going to so so cliche. I met this person on Craigslist when I was looking for friends because I, I didn't know anything about the gay community. I didn't know how to interact. I felt like a straight guy, you know, caught between two worlds as a dad with two kids. And I'm, you know, have these feelings that I don't know what to do with. And so I met this guy on Craigslist and it, we were just you know, platonic having we're just friends talking for a long time and at some mm -hmm. point he asked me about being bisexual and i thought well that's weird why would he ask that question so so we finally met and there was something about him that just kind of clicked and so we stayed friends for a while and then he you know i had feelings for him and but i said i don't want to mess up our friendship um and so he eventually made the first move and i said you're going to regret this i don't want to mess up our friendship you're going to go away and at some point we, you know, ended up having sex and, and my whole world turned right side up at that point. I'm like, oh my God, Every, everything makes sense to me right now is that this, this is my, this is who I am. Um, you know, all the feelings that I had, this is what I was supposed to feel, feel for my wife. Instead, it was anxiety. 
Oh, um, right. Mm-hmm. It all, and I'm like, this, this is what love is. I've never experienced love before until that moment in time. And so it was like, now I get it. This is a thing that they were trying to warn me against, but it's nothing like what they said it was. So I would say that was kind of the beginning of this coming out process. And my ex-wife was extremely gracious, um, you know, as I would talk to her, you know, when I had my first one night stand after that, I had that walk of shame. <laughs> she kind of, yeah, right. she goes, she goes, we, we've all been there. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so that made me rethink. And then I just, I had kind of walked away from church and I got really, really angry because I felt like where the hell was God? What, why did I go through all of this trouble and turmoil and spend, you know, a good portion of my life in the ministry on something that wasn't even true? And what else is not true? Uh, so I started to, I went back to school, you know, getting my undergrad degree, and I started to ask a lot more questions than what I was studying. And it was from that experience of, I started Googling things about, does God exist? What proof do we have? And, and that was the beginning of the end for me. It's just, it was taking all of that apart and trying to figure out what was true and what wasn't. And then it, it was, I, I kind of, I had cut myself off from X-Gay ministry. I'd cut myself off from my friends in the X-Gay ministry initially because I felt so ashamed. I felt like I had failed. I felt like I had let my parents down, my friends down, the ministry down, and especially having been so public and now I'm sitting here alone trying to sort out what happened and where to go next. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, that's that sounds it lines up with what with what everything, you know, you're you're going through in your life. And and uh, I think the you said something about, you know, the realization that this this was not like they said it was it was, <laughs> you know, something in reality does not line up to what they're, what they're telling right. you. Um, so what would you say to someone who, like, if you met someone today and they were back where you were and they're just getting involved and, and some, they joined love in action. I said, I finally figured out a way to solve this problem. What would you say to that person? <laughs> I've had I've had numerous conversations when Going Gay came out. I had a lot of people that would contact me and it it was either, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not sure what to do. Um, I'm going in the ministry or, I'm, or, you know, going to a ministry like Love and Action or thinking about going to a ministry like Love and Action or I am married and, um, I, you know, I think I'm going to cheat on my wife. So I mean, I had all these different questions that, that came out and you I can't change anybody's way of thinking. I can only share my experience with it. Um, so I, I didn't, I, sh I did share my experience, but I knew that they were going to make the decision that they, that they were going to make. Um, and unfortunately it's a, it's a rotating wheel, you know, after our group went through and we were the, the face of X game ministry, it was the next group. And I don't know if you saw the, the uh, documentary pray away on Netflix. Um, but a couple of my friends were in that one and they were the next, they came after me, right? So they just kept perpetuating this thing. And now that they're stepping down and they've realized that what they did was wrong, there's another group of people that step up. So this continues on and it will continue on because we are trying to ban conversion therapy, but we're not dealing with the underlying cause, which is religion. As long as right. religion is right. saying that this is a problem, 
then they will continue to perpetuate these um, untruths and misbeliefs and um, cruelty to the gay community. Right. So that, you know, I'm interested in, in where, where, where the escape movement is today. I mean, because in my research, when I was going through my deconstruction, um, it was Exodus uh, International kind of imploded. They just, it did. apparently some of the leaders came out and said, hey, you know what, uh, what we've been doing is, is wrong. Um, we're not changing anyone. We're, we're you know, we're, we're not really uh, delivering what we claim that we're delivering. And it's harmful to people and we're going to stop doing it. And so. I mean, is that happening with other ministries or is that an isolated incidence and, and what's going on with the, with that ex gay movement today? I think there's just a change nationally. And if you've uh, kept up with the statistics, but the belief in God has dropped to 63% from 70% a few years ago. So you're seeing a decrease in the beliefs regarding religion in general. And especially I think those in the evangelical movement, I think part of that had happened because of Donald Trump, where that created such a disconnect between their political beliefs and their religious beliefs. And yet they all were so intertwined that some people went, I don't know, you know, this, he's kind of off the rails. And I don't know if I can go down that path. Uh, we know that millennials are also walking away from the faith because they're seeing the hypocrisy. Uh, there are a lot more questions, a lot more access to information than we used to have before. So there are a lot of people that have left the ministry, um, at least the higher profiles. We're not seeing what we used to see. We don't have Exodus International. We don't have Love in Action. We don't have some of the other ministries that were out there that were perpetuating these beliefs. Mm -hmm. So what's happened instead is that as we've given the churches more rights in being able to talk about politics or you know mix the two uh, religion and politics together, is that you have a lot of churches that are still doing this ex-gay thing, but it's not as public. So right. it's still there. Okay, so it's, it's still a church going. ministry rather than a national ministry. Right, and fortunately, throughout the United States, we are cracking down on conversion therapy for licensed therapists. So that's still going on, which is making it harder for licensed therapists to do conversion therapy. Um, but in regards to churches, it's, I would say it's, it's more underground, but I would say if you're involved in a church, I'm sure, I'm sure you'll know where to go, where to find it. Uh, there is yeah. an organization whose, whose name I'm not going to say, cause I don't want to give them any, yeah. um, any publicity, uh, right. but they're an offshoot of Exodus and Love and Action. And they are an extremist offshoot of Exodus. I oh, mean, they really? just, they just took it to another level. Yeah. Oh, a whole no. nother level. And they were affiliated with us. And so when, you know, when oh. Love and Action closed and Exodus closed, man, they just went full blast. Uh, down that hole. interesting alarming i should say mm -hmm. um so i mean one of the things uh you you said a lot of things about religion and uh you know i i know that there's uh christian gay communities now too so there's another way of looking at this and still believing right uh, in christ and following jesus so did you get involved in stuff like that or what I, so I went to the ex-gay, or not ex-gay, I went to the Gay Christian Conference back in 2015. It was my first uh, time really kind of delving into this idea of being gay and Christian. And mm -hmm. honestly, it, it just didn't sit well with me it, it, because, again, it was so separated when I was growing up. There was no possible way to be gay and Christian, and you have to reinterpret the Bible. So it, in mm -hmm. my experience as a mm -hmm. Pentecostal, there's only one way to read the Bible, and if that's wrong, 
then the maybe everything is else is wrong too. Right. Yeah. The yeah. whole thing is wrong. So right, I, right. so for me, it was, if that's wrong, then it's all wrong. I, so right. I couldn't, I couldn't jump in on that bandwagon. So I know I gotcha. that there are people that yeah. believe, yeah. and I know um, friends who believe that are Christian and gay, and they continue down this path of, you know, Hey, you know, I just kind of believe God loves me. It doesn't really matter. Uh, but they tend to now be more on the progressive side of mm -hmm. uh, Christianity instead. Right. Right. Have you, have you read the book Unclobber? Um, have you, uh, you by Mel? That? What's that? Was it uh, Mel White that wrote that one? No, I don't think Mel White wrote that one. I, I can't remember who wrote it, but um, I've heard the, I've, I've heard the name. I find it very. There are several books like it. What it's basically it's basically making the case that you know when, when you look at the Bible passages that supposedly talk about homosexuality, they're talking about something completely different than what we think of. They're talking about mm -hmm. things like shrine prostitution. That's mentioned many right. times in the Old Testament. It's talking about exploitation. It's talking about uh, uh, idolatry, where you know, in order to appease this false, this foreign, foreign god, this pagan god, you you can you can have sex with prostitutes in the temple, uh, either female or male, and you get you know you, you get something from this 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 pagan god in return, <laughs> and and so you know there were there was there was that stuff going on in in right. antiquity and and Old Testament and uh, and the Roman and Greek world. So uh, you know that's what the the Bible was addressing. It wasn't addressing you know mutually consenting loving gay relationships. And so I think that book goes into that. I know I've read other books that 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 do. And in my studies, uh, that does really line up. I mean, um, mm -hmm. we read so much into the Bible. At least some people do, uh, without um, really understanding the historical cultural context. And there's a lot of misinterpretations. There's a lot of mistranslations of, of words. The whole word homosexuality should not be in the Bible. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I mean, let me give a, a quick plug to my friend, uh, Kathy Baldock. Uh, she has a ministry called Canyon Walker Connections. So canyonwalkerconnections.com. And right. she has a documentary that's just been released called 1946. And it does exactly what you're saying is that it looks at how do we get that word homosexual in the Bible? And it is a mistranslation. And those who wrote the RSVP or RSV Bible said it's a mistranslation. And so she has all the documentation about what happened. So wow, it, that's that interesting. Is going around right now. Um, she's a phenomenal person and she is a straight person. She has no connection to homosexuality whatsoever, except that she met somebody in a hiking trail and said, something's not right. You know, she was an evangelical who said, eh, right. something, you know, this yeah. person I'm meeting is not what I, it's not what's been described to me. So yeah, incredible right. ministry, incredible human being, Kenyon Walker connections. If somebody's struggling or wants to know information, I'm going to pass her information along and uh, check it out. What's your name again? Kathy Baldock. Kathy Baldock, and, and the name of the documentary, 1946? 1946. Okay, cool. All right. And then and then there was another one that you mentioned, uh, Pray, Pray Away or something. Was that another documentary exposing the ex-gay yeah. movement? Yeah, so Pray Away. Is, Pray Away. At least okay. it was on Netflix. Um, I, I think it's okay. still on Netflix. I know it got nominated for an Emmy, um, but that's a, a very interesting one to All watch. Right. I haven't well. seen either of those, so I'll have to check those out. But um, yeah. That's 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 amazing. But that's true. I mean, and that's more part of the problem. And that's where, you know, as we finish this up interview up, I want to kind of pivot here, talk about the problem that evangelicalism fundamentalism has is 
um, that the way that people look at the Bible, and there's several things going on. One of them is that they're taught they have to accept everything they read in the Bible as mm -hmm. true, 100%, because it's all God's word, et cetera, et cetera. They can't question anything. And as soon as you question something, you're, you're shamed and made to feel like you're a heretic or something. Uh, that's one problem. <laughs> and we, when you look at history, you realize, actually, Jesus, even Jesus didn't look at the Bible that way. Even the first, the first Christians and the Jews in Jesus' time did not look at the Bible right. that way. There was a debate going on about the Bible, and they constantly debated it. And they didn't, they didn't even come up with a definitive list of books until after uh, the Jews didn't come up with it until the sec second century, and then the Christians didn't come up with one until the fourth century. So, um, anyways, uh, but that's you know the 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 problem is that people look at the Bible a certain way, and they can't question it, and they don't look at the historical cultural context right. uh, while they're reading it, and they come up with all these things, or they're reading mistranslations, as we said. And, and they walk away thinking, this is what God says, but actually that's not necessarily what God says. And that's not definitely not what God says. And so, right. Well, I, I think that the thing about what God says is, is up to an interpretation. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Reza Oslin is, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he, he wrote, um, yeah, was it? Yes. Finding I remember him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, God, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the books. Anyway, great book. Um, so he he came out with a video that said it starts with God doesn't hate gay people. You hate gay people. And then he goes on to talk about how we define God. We bring our view of God into our faith. It's not the other way around. We don't learn it. We we bring it, you know, into there. Right. So whatever our feelings are is what we believe about God. And we we personify God to be that person. As I went back through and started reading the Old Testament, God was a jerk. You yeah, know, and, right. but if but if you line that up with what was happening at the time, it makes sense because that that was where people were at that moment in time. When Paul came around, Paul's gospel is very different from the gospels in the Bible. So when Paul came around, he had a version of Jesus that was that kind, loving, um, you know, empathetic mm -hmm. God. But that really wasn't the God of the gospel. I mean, it wasn't the Jesus of the gospels because Jesus was not a very kind person in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it holistically, we really pick and choose what we want that to be. Um, and then, the, you know, and to your point, I mean, the Bible has had multiple versions. So we still have multiple versions of the Bible and what we add and take away. Even, um, you know, Martin Luther decided, well, I don't like Hebrew. So we're going to take that out of the Bible. So we we have we pick and choose what it is that we want. Um, you know, evangelicalism is only 300 years old. So again, it's another version of this Christianity. And the Bible has been written and rewritten multiple times, depending on the political um, environment at that time. So I just, I guess, you know, I kind of balk at we say what the Bible is, because the Bible is what we make it to be. And I know that we get taught things like homosexuality is wrong, or we get taught things like, you know, premarital sex is wrong, or whatever the topic may be. But those are those are things that are are put up on us, and we go into reading the Bible with our own perspective, right? We we can't we can't interpret it based on today's interpretation because that's not what it was contextually, and we're looking at things from a very puritanical standpoint these days based on the faith that we have now. But again, that's not what it was when it was written. 
So for, you know, if we're talking about the Bible, I think we have to kind of pull back and say, is this the word of God or is this the really, is this a man written document that has changed culturally to be what it needs to be at any given moment? Right. Yeah. And, and I agree with you. I, I, I might disagree about the, the statement you made that, you know, uh, Jesus is and Paul's gospel were, were different and Jesus was not as kind or something. But well, I'll just tell you what I discovered was um, when I deconstructed the New Testament, uh, I found out that, you know, you take all the mistranslations out. You understand what the cultural context is. You realize what the misinterpretations are. You also take out all some of the copyist errors that we can find in the Bible or copyist insertions that there is real evidence for. Not a whole lot, but uh, enough to make a difference. And, and, then you, and then you lay out what I discovered was, oh, actually, Jesus is, is a progressive Christian. He's progressive. He's not conservative. <laughs> he's more liberal. He's more, you know, he's on the side of the poor and the marginalized, and he's against religious elites, you know. And so uh, uh, for me, um, uh, history is what can help us to discover uh, what, you know, the, 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 the narrative the narrative should be or the narrative is historically when we look at uh, history and uncover all these m mistakes, misinterpretations, uh, uh, we, 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 we're not trapped into this. We have to believe everything in the Bible uh, face value, but we can question it and doubt things, but we can also see some very inspirational things, the love ethic of Christ and, and that love is really what, what, what matters most loving your neighbor, loving your enemies loving uh, people who are struggling and not being, uh, uh, you know, legalistic about everything. I mean, Jesus was against legalism so much, you know, and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, et cetera. So anyways, I, I, I think that's very true that we, uh, we have, we put our bias and we read things into the Bible from what we're taught, not necessarily deriving uh, everything from, from the text, but we're also, trapped into this way of looking at the Bible all or nothing. And we can't read it like we would read anything else, you know? And right. I think when you're, when you finally come out of that and you realize I can read the Bible just like any other uh, text or history book or something, and I can find what's good. I can find what's bad and I can find what's ugly. <laughs> and, and then you may, and then you can make up your mind. Well, what is it that's good? That is there anything good in here? And I think there is, there's a lot of good things, but and you got to get out of that trap before you can differentiate things in the Bible. So, um, but you wrote another book, um, Rethinking Everything, When Faith and Reality Don't Make mm -hmm. Sense. And just just as we kind of sum this up a little bit, what are some of the major things that you covered in that book? What I covered in that book is what it's like to deconstruct. And I, I did two things in that book. It's um, extremely heavy in research. And I, the first part of the book goes through all the things that we have to rethink as we're coming out and, and thinking our, our faith doesn't match up. And as, as we're going through that, then I talk about things like how we got here. What is the belief system that, that was created, that was given to us? How do we even think about our beliefs and where does that belief come from? Um, I, I talk about why religion is so strong, you know, how, how it impacts us uh, from a scientific point of view in the limbic system and how we internalize those feelings and why we, why we feel like those feelings that we have are actually God when, you know, we, we believe we, 
bring our beliefs into our feelings. And so our feelings mirror what we already believe. Um, and then it just walks through, how do we deal with depression? How do we deal with the rejection? Um, how do we find new meaning in life when we're not there? Or, you know, when things have changed, we're not in church anymore. Um, I cover a lot of things in the book in the first half. And then the second half, I have a lot of appendices that bounce off of things that I'd already said that go really deep. So I go into some very deep history on the archaeology, you know, finding that the El gods um, are actually single gods or family gods. It's not El Shaddai, you know, the, this idea of God oh, being right, a single right. God yeah, right. came, came much later. God was, uh, God was multiple gods and, and, the, mm -hmm. and it was created to be a single God when it became politically helpful. Yeah. Um, so, so it just walks through the book on, you know, really finding yourself when your faith isn't working out, where do I go from here? How do I put my life together and figure out what that's going to be? Um, and I don't at any point say God is not real or God is not true. That's nobody can say that. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I do is I lay out the, I lay out the history and the archeology span and the psychology behind what is taught um, not only in faith, but in the Bible. And I don't, I also don't talk about theology at all. I'm only looking at facts. Um, I do talk about interpretations of theology and how, as I was looking at the discrepancies in the scriptures themselves, my mind immediately went to, oh, that's because of, right. Cause I've been so conditioned yes, uh, even right, yeah. all these years later to, to give an, ex to give an excuse for why it's so different yeah. in one spot over the oh, other. No, um, no, that's so. So that's yeah, what that's I want is I want, I want people to say, people to just look at this and say, God, that, that's me, you know, I'm, I'm there, or I'm kind of walking through this, or I'm having these uh, cognitive dissonance problems with my faith and my politics and my life or things are not lining up. And this is just to walk them through what that is. These are the facts about what we know about how the Bible was created and built and re rewritten multiple times. Um, and then you make your decision about what you want to take out of that. And, uh, you know, what you don't think is valid. Yeah. I, I align with that very much. So I'm um, the, the, the next book I'm working on, it's going to be published next year, kind of goes into some of that, you know, help helping people see um, all the different things, the way people looked at the Bible throughout history, why it's, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense to say it's all completely uh, uh, inerrant and infallible and helping people to, to, to make up their own mind about, you know, what, what is inspirational, what is true, what might be true and what's it's, that's what's not, and what you can decide is not based on evidence. And, and, uh, and I think that's, you know, the evangelical community just is, is terrified of that. That's just, you know, it just kind of their whole house of cards comes tumbling down. If, if you start talking that way, yes. it's like, they feel like it's all a free for all, uh, it's like, oh, then, you know, you can't believe anything and the whole world's going to go to pot and everything. And, but that's really not the way the world works. <laughs> no, it's, it's are, not. And actually, I'm sorry. I was just going to say that people are drawn to love and uh, stories of inspiration and, and redemption and uh, forgiveness and uh, res restoration. People are drawn to that naturally, because I think that's, as a believer, I think that's where we're kind of God made us that way. You know, we're drawn to that, but right. so other people might have another explanation, but you know, that's, that's where I was going with that. What, what were you going to say? 
I was going to say that I talk about this in the book too, is that there's this thought, if we're not a Christian nation, then all hell will break loose. Yeah, and if you right, look, right. if you right. look at other countries who are not Christian nations, they got us beat in a lot of ways, right? We have the highest incarceration, highest gun violence, all this stuff that's going on in this quote unquote Christian nation. And yet you take that out and you find that there are other nations that, you know, are higher on the happy scale. Yeah. Uh, when they have when they have you know free medical and, and all the right. things that are, this this uh, rich country doesn't have so right. it none of that lines up just because you have this fundamentalist belief means nothing except what we see now is that you have white nationalism and chaos and um you, you yeah. know all of these things that are happening that are really tearing this country down uh, it's right. the exact opposite of what they're saying but it's it's fear it's all fear based and it's you've very got these fear-based. people who You know, who will not vote for a Democrat no matter what happens because they have somebody like Herschel Walker and they're saying, well, I have to get him. Otherwise, a Democrat will be in. And you've you've got this moron, you know, because they're so terrified of what they've been told about Democrats that that isn't true. Yeah, well, that's part of the theology. They demonize anyone who's outside. It's Mm -hmm. us versus them. And them are all all depraved, uh, you know, radical leftist <laughs> extremists who are going to ruin the world because they're not right. Christians or they're not the right kind of Christian. And that's right. very destructive way of looking at the world. And that's not the way, uh, that's not the way Jesus looked at the world or Paul or, or the Christians. Uh, so, I mean, we, we've gone way off the path in my mind, but anyways, um, <laughs> one, one thing, one last question I have is like for people who struggle uh uh, with their faith because they're just starting to realize that it doesn't mesh with reality, whether that's being gay or some other area, what, you know, how, how, what's your advice to them? How do they, how do they find peace? How do they kind of come out of this? Uh, well, I would recommend getting rethinking everything for one, because I kind of lay it out there, but I, I mean, the fact that they're listening to this podcast or other podcasts or trying to find books which you offer right and books like i offer um mm-hmm. I, I mean that's that's a start is it's really difficult when you come out of it because you lose your community everything is based on that community experience and now it's gone you know what do i do with my right centuries? right right so i i think you know finding these podcasts and there are more and more of these that are coming out where people are getting um getting educated there's a lot of stuff online these days um I went to, they're quite a ways away from me, but there was an atheist community that I used to go to because they had a community. They were together. Um, Atheists sometimes get a little too uh, militant from my liking, but you know, you, you kind of, you kind of find your people. If you're still one of you involved in churches, there is the universalist church. I mean, there are other places to go besides evangelicalism and then learning learning the history, you know, rethinking everything. Like I said, it, it walks you through kind of coming out of what do you do and how do you get, how do you find yourself after that? Um, yeah. So great. those are my recommendations. Well, it's good. We're on the same page there. I mean, just that's, uh, I, I always say, you know, study history, uh, mm-hmm. get grounded in, in, in things outside the evangelical bubble and, uh, and then, you know, make your choice. I mean, people, I mean, one, uh, uh, there, there, there's good things in, it, in almost everything. I mean, evangelicalism, as much as I, you and I critique it, uh, you know, you know, that did ha- you did get a sense of community. You did have, you know, uh, uh, a sense that you could, um, be, uh, uh, have the mysteries of life explained to you and, and, 
and people did try to be loving and kind and so forth. But, but you find out that there's a contradiction, but that's what draws people into a movement is that, you know, they're, they mm -hmm. see love or they see something that's going to solve their issue or their problems. And if you, when you come out of it, you got to find another community that's much more inclusive that's not exclusive, that doesn't have these traps in them that, that, that allows you to think for yourself and, uh, you know, be on your own path and, and nothing, no one has to believe the exact same way and we can still love, love one another. So um, we, we've had a great conversation, uh, Tim, where can people uh, find your book and do you have a website and so forth? I do. They can find me at timreimel.net and my books, uh, Going Gay, Everything, Everything, and a few other things are on uh, Amazon, so you can find them there. Great. Okay. Well, we've had a great conversation here. Um, folks, to check out uh, timreimel.net and his books, um, and we will continue on on the Spiritual Podcast uh, interviewing very interesting people like Tim and 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 getting the word out to help people uh, uh, deconstruct and reconstruct something that that fits uh, their sense of uh, truth and their 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 sense of what uh, God and 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 what love should be in the world. So uh, Tim, thanks again uh, for joining us. And uh, folks, um, as we as we say goodbye, enjoy responsibly. The Spiritual Brew Pub Podcast will help you navigate spiritually after or during a belief shift, deconstruction, or crisis of faith. Not to try to convert you to a particular destination, but give you the resources you need to evaluate your future belief or unbelief and help you follow the religious historical evidence wherever it leads. I'm your host, Michael Camp a recovering conservative evangelical, the operative word being recovering, sharing my journey and helping others rebuild faith or a reasoned philosophy of life. So grab your brew of choice and learn how fact-based history helps us both critique and rethink faith. Why do we call it a brew pub? Because we like to hang out in them, at least metaphorically. A pub is a great place to let your hair down Share your true thoughts about your journey and discuss things with an open mind in a non-judgmental environment.